This is episode 32 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert. And I'm Emma. And today, we will be talking about the intriguing history of potash. And uh, as for, uh, first, as always, we have the Egg Carton Count. And today's Egg Carton Count is... It's 45, which means that we have 45 egg cartons all around our room for, for sound dampening. So we have a very small recording room. You may have seen uh, the short studio tour on Instagram. But yeah, so I think we've we've gotten it pretty well treated. Yeah, it's quite scenic. If I imagine people's <laughs> first sign coming in here, they're just like, oh, there's yeah. a tower of egg cartons, but it's quite lovely. Um, but about potash, the history of potash, it's a very versatile substance and the uses go on and on. And first, it, it preserves the color of meat. So I'm going to start off with a tangent. So Polish hunters in the 1400s would actually preserve meat by rubbing it with a mix of salt, which is sodium chloride, and gunpowder, which is potassium nitrate. Yeah, I'm a little skeptical of rubbing gunpowder on meat. That does seem a little bit sketchy to me. I mean, me. they didn't know much about germs then, but this is actually the same uh, the same chemical makeup uh, as how lunch meat uh, is preserved with nitrites, or nitrates, which is actually... Has a, uh, goes undergoes a chemical reaction which turns it into nitrites. Ah, uh-huh, so the Polish hunters were onto something. Nice. Uh, yeah, they were, but they didn't know the exact chemistry of what was going on. Um, and so, kind of tangent to the tangent, actually, a chemical reaction uh, between so the nitrates, which are turned into nitrites, it re- uh, reacts with the meat and produces traces of nitrosamines, hmm. which can actually cause cancer. Oh, um, but they're only trace amounts. And so, which should not be uh, harmful, and that's actually uh, regulated by law how uh, how much of the nitrosamines can be in your lunch meat. But that's the like, why do we even need our ham red anyway? That's that's the chemistry of why ham is red. But why do we need ham to be red? Potash also makes a great fertilizer. It can be mixed with lard to make soap, and that's more like potash's brother, pearl ash. Sounds almost like pearl jam, pearl ash. It can be mixed with bat dung to make gunpowder. Ooh, yeah, let's not rub that on our meat. Technically, that's nitrate of potash or potassium nitrate, but let's not get into the details right now. It reduces the melting point of sand in order to make glass. And potash was originally extracted from wood by wastefully burning wood into ash, and that ash was put in water and the solids were drained out. Uh, and then the water would sit out to in the sun to evaporate, and the remaining dust was potash. And so it was the ash left in the pot. Fair enough. But it was very inefficient. I said just a moment ago that uh, this burning of wood was very wasteful. So a few hefty chunks of wood yields only a few grams of potash. Um, yeah. And the first U.S. patent, U.S. patent number one, was given to Samuel Hopkins for this way of making potash. And it was signed in 1790 by George Washington. All the way out in 1806, Sir Humphrey Davy of Cornwall, England, was given the job of researching medical uses of newly discovered gases. He experimented with laughing gas and almost died of carbon monoxide poisoning. I definitely do not recommend experimenting with any sort of gases, specifically those 
The Irish politician Edmund Burke accused Davies' experiments of promoting atheism and the French Revolution. That seems like a whole that sounds like rabbit a trail. It does. I mean, we could probably dive into. I'm Davies sure there's. We could do the history things, of Humphrey but... Davy himself. But <laughs> in 1807, Humphrey Davy conducted an experiment where he he hooked a bucket of potash up to a battery. So he was he was facilitating electrolysis, and this is a method sometimes used to break chemical bonds. And separate elements. So the dissolved potash, so the, the potash dissolved in the water, started forming little beads. And then these beads, once they reached the surface, quickly combusted. Oh. And Humphrey Davy had discovered an element, and he named it potassium. So potassium. Potassium. There's a fun fact. Potassium is actually named after potash. Well, there you go. In 1861, the Germans discovered a much more efficient and sustainable form of potash. It was in a mineral form found in the ground. And it really wasn't potash anymore. Per se, yeah. Per because se. It, was, it was in the ground. It was it potassium. It was not the ash. Well, yeah, it was potassium carbonate. Right. Germany did establish a near monopoly on potash. There were abundant variations of potash, believe it or not. And this was when they discovered it could be used for fertilizer. And they also found that it preserved the color of meat. And it is still on the ingredient list of lunch meat today, as we talked about yeah, earlier. Yeah, talked about at the beginning. And in 1910, Germany actually stopped potash, as, uh, potash exports, which is interesting because the German economy was booming at the time. And America had been so dependent on Germany that in 1911, so the next year, Congress granted money to extract potash domestically. And America has a slightly different landscape uh, than Germany, of course. And Americans had to mine potash deep in the ground, which was dangerous. And there were a few mine explosions where the natural gas underground would actually ignite from a candle Ooh. or spark. And they actually, sh the, the miners should have used the Davy lamp, which happened to be invented by Humphrey Davy in 1815. And the Davy lamp has a mesh cage around it, which makes the flame less likely to ignite the natural gas in the mine. Unfortunately, not everyone used the Davy lamp, and one explosion in 1963 resulted in 18 deaths. This was the tipping point, and mining was just too dangerous. So a new extraction method had to be developed, and that was discovered in 1864, or developed in 1864, the very next year after that mine explosion. And this was in Saskatchewan, Canada. This extraction method involved pumping water 3,900 feet underground. And once the water is down there, it dissolves the mineral, quote-unquote, potash, which technically isn't ash in a pot, but it's, it's the mineral form. Then the water uh, can be pumped back up to the surface, taking the dissolved potash with it. And this mineral solution is then put in huge evaporation pools so the water can be evaporated off. And you can find a group of these evaporation pools on Google Earth in southeast Utah. It's called the Moab Potash Mine, and there will be a link for it in the show notes. It looks so cool, you there's, guys. There's a lot of these around the world. The The picture that we used for uh, for the Instagram post mm -hmm. is of the Moab Potash Mine because I think that's the most photogenic. Oh, it looks so beautiful. It's like different colored pools. Of course, I imagine you wouldn't want to step yeah, in it. Yeah, but... through the... Well, it's... it's several feet deep but through the process of evaporation it uh it changes colors oh it looks so beautiful. because there's copper sulfate in there and i'm overcomplicating yeah, definitely if you want to see a picture uh look at the link in the show notes or check out our instagram 
Anyway, back on topic. Nearly half of the world's food supply relies on potash mining with fertilizers and preservatives. While you may have never considered potash, its discovery and usage has helped make the production of soap, gunpowder, glass, and batteries possible. Next time you take a bite of a sandwich or change the batteries in your smoke detector, thank Sir Humphrey Davy, 14th century Polish hunters, and the essential potash mines around the world. We hope you enjoyed this short episode, but as you can imagine, our frequency of episodes is limited to how quickly we can complete the research. So we are introducing a new feature, which is crowdsourced research. Uh, And if you know a lot about one specific history topic, you can contact us and we would love to have you on the show. We would love to interview you. Also, if you have written a research paper about the history of something, you can submit your research and be known as the producer of that episode. And you can actually put that on your resume. Sure can. Uh, Producer of name and number episode of the History of Podcast. Um, And you can donate to the History of to keep the show going. And when you donate... Uh, We will read your name and where you are from. And if you prefer to remain anonymous or incognito, just send us an email. With a $25 donation or more, you can send us a note via email and we will read it on the podcast. Just try to keep it PG. You know, we're all family friendly here. To donate, click our donation link in the show notes to make a one-time or monthly donation. And if you have any questions or comments about the information provided in this episode, or if you... Uh, would like to remain anonymous in a donation or would like to send a donation note, please contact us at thehistoryof365 at gmail.com. Have a blessed day. And you've got to promise me something. Never stop learning. <laughs>